0: Welcome, welcome, Redeemer Life. You know, I, I thought we were going to have some dancing or something today. What happened? Angela, you should have come up and led us in dancing. I'm sorry. Dancing? Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to lead us in dancing? But you have that music going. Oh, David did. Okay. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to... Uh, this morning's worship service, um, is it okay if you finish up at 1 p.m. or maybe 1.30? So? You'll be okay with that. As long as you're okay with it, we're fine. <laughs> um, we, uh, we've had some amazing stuff happen. We've had, um, you know, um, there, there's a lot of good news. Um, uh, Tanya left uh, Vladimir back in Russia. Uh, <laughs> but there's good news here. And the good news is that you got your visas. Thank you. Yay! Thank God, thank God. You know, these are things that, uh, that we are always wanting to be prayerful about because you just don't know. You just don't know how things will work out. So there you are. You got your visas. And, and when, when does Vladimir come back? Uh, this Tuesday. This Tuesday? Okay. He's in the States. Oh, he is in the United States. Yeah. Okay. Visa. Okay, okay, so perhaps next week we will see Vladimir, and um, so great, so great. And then, um, you know, we also have um, this whole idea of running as a congregation, um, so uh, Emily is somewhere, she is around somewhere, so we'll be um, uh, she and, and Commander Gabrielson are the two people responsible for getting us going on that. Uh, I've been thinking about the whole um, um, 1619 movement. Are you familiar with that? Six Young people, young people. 1619, long, long time ago. What happened in 1619? 1619, I'm sorry, I have to wear my professorial hat. I, I should take that off, right, from time to time. That's not good. Um, uh, 1619 uh, was the was the time was the year in which um, um, the first slave ship in Angola, Africa, was loaded in those very very horrible ship, the boat, and and they were put in there as as animals, and so many died, and so 1619 was the first first year and this is the commemoration of of 1619. I would encourage you to read. There's a lot that has been written by New York Times and by Chicago Tribune and other journalists because people are uncovering stories of people that were, that are um, the descendants of those original slaves, and uh, one of the story in, in USA Today is of this woman uh, who, who, d- who went on this journey to discover um, descendants of the 1619 slaves, and, um, and then she discovered that her own great-great-great-great-grandfather was a slave. So it was a very moving experience for her. I would encourage you to to read some of these narratives. They're so powerful. Um, I I remember, you know, going to, I was presenting a paper on the 400th anniversary of the 1611 translation of the King James Version in Liverpool and um, very near the pub where the Beatles first started is a ship where you see how these amazing, amazing dear people were horribly mistreated. So I would encourage us to go and do that kind of a thing. Maybe we can even go to Angola. How about that? Gina, do you think we can come up with a trip to Africa? I think it'll be... So, you know, we need to go and see how, how things happened in history to come to terms with, with history. Um, Maybe a Sankofa trip to Africa. Um, and um, the other thing that I've been thinking of is um, the idea of the 200-mile relay, but maybe 50 miles is more doable. What do you think of that? 50 miles uh, relay, I don't know, 10 people run 5 miles each. What do you think of that? And do you know what that is, 50 miles? What comes to your mind, young people, young 50 miles, 50 miles, 50 miles. It is the journey from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, where, um, uh, and I'm thinking aloud here because I do that all the time, um, is to go from one church to another and have places where we will stop after every five miles and then cover that whole 50 miles uh, distance um, that was made by, um, by MLK Jr. and others that walked those 50 miles so that people would have um, the ability to vote, just the ability to vote. Um, so maybe we will do that as well. Um, having said that, we have an amazing woman here among us who ran 26.2 miles last week. Do you know who would that be? Yes, yes. Would you come forward and tell us about your journey? Beatrice, come on. Yay. Is there a mic or something? Oh, thank you, thank you. You can ask her all the questions you want to. That's the sermon for today. <laughs> Beatrice, you ran 26.2 miles? Yes. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> how was it? How was it? Can you tell them? Because they have to run 50 miles now.
1: <laughs> okay, it was really a challenge physically and mentally, especially for me, because uh, when I was little, that um, I didn't know how to run. Hmm. I always kept the running and the PE because every time I ran, then I felt uh, pain in my stomach, like a stabbing pain. Hmm. So I always uh, ask uh, my teacher that, can I just walk? So hmm. I end up only walking until like, uh, I don't know, like um, a few years ago and my friend uh, who, who is a runner uh, asked me if I want to run with her So I thought, okay, let's try, and then you know, and I was able to run without feeling the pain in my stomach. But uh, so you know, I never had in mind I would be able to run, uh, let alone running marathon, Mm. (laughs) 26.2 miles. Yeah. Um, The other uh, challenging things, you know, for my body is because like uh, several years ago, like probably like seven or eight years uh, ago, that I uh, developed a new health uh, condition where. Uh, they call it phen- uh, renal phenomenon, where my body uh, cannot, uh, you know, I mean, cannot take the cold uh, as well as other people. So where my arteries uh, cannot uh, take the uh, blood supply all the way to the uh, small arteries, like to my uh, fingers and toes. So they end up like uh, I felt pain. Uh, they turn white, and I felt pain mm. on my toes and my uh, fingers. So. Last year I ran a half marathon with Jennifer Benson and um, it was also another challenge because the weather there was like rain the uh, night or two nights before so end up with a lot of puddles mm-hmm. and then so we had to run through all the puddles you know it was like uh, 40 degrees so it was really cold and you know when I saw it I said oh my goodness okay, I don't think I would be able to finish the race because I have to run the water, it's cold, and then what's going to happen to my toes, you know, like that. So, But you know what, I pray to God, you know, I mean, like, um, you get me here, so I'm not going to run with anyone, but I'm running with you. So if you let me finish the race, then um, I'll finish the race. If not, then uh, that's it. But then I was able to finish the race, and that's what led me to try the marathon. And then the, when people said the weather was really good for the runners, you know, like cold weather was better than hot than uh, the mm-hmm. hot weather, but this whole time when I trained myself, it was like I always ran in the basement on my treadmill with uh, like sixty-nine or seventy degrees. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was different because yeah, I I uh, I. I oh, probably ran outside like probably like 3%, you know, out of the 100% of my uh, training. So when I uh, when I was in Chicago, it was really cold When I was waiting in line uh, to my corral. So I, my toes already started feeling, you know, all the pain, you know, like that. So mm-hmm. I kept wiggling my toes and then, okay, you know, it happened again. You know, we'll see, mm-hmm. you know, I pray to God, you know, Lord, I'm here now. So... You know, if you, uh, it happened one year ago, but you know, I know that, uh, that uh, if uh, he allowed me to be here, then, you know, then I'll do my best. And it was the race was like uh, uh, I bought, uh, you know, like a long ja- uh, jacket, you know, from Goodwill that I thought I would just throw it away in the middle of the race, but I ended up wearing it the whole time
0: because it was
1: <laughs> <laughs> because it was cold and the wind was really hard, you know, it like almost blew me away. So it wasn't easy, but, uh, but yeah, I made it. You know, I thought I didn't have goal, uh, like uh, the time goal when I'm going to finish the race. My goal was just to finish the, mm-hmm. the race, yeah, to get to the finish line. But at mile 20, 21, I look at my watch and say, okay, my goal changed now. I finished the race in less than six hours, so I finished the race in five hours and 38 minutes. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was because uh, of God who helped me th- that whole race, yeah. So.
0: Amen. What a testimony. What a te- would you raise your hands? Would you raise your hands? Lord, we thank you so much for Beatrice for her testimony. What an amazing testimony, O oh Lord, of how you enabled her to take this very, very courageous decision to run the half marathon and, and now to run the full marathon. O oh Lord, this is your doing, and we want to thank you for, for what you have done in Beatrice's life, and we pray that as she runs this life's journey, that you would enable her to run well, and to finish well, for your glory. In the name of Jesus, the great marathon runner, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, what an amazing testimony, isn't it? And, and we are, of course, um, um, you know, going through the, the great marathon runners of... Uh, of, of the Bible. Um, uh, I would hope that this would be um, kind of a, a shorter sermon, but let's see how it goes. Would you, would you arise with me and um, let us let's read this um, um, journey, continuing with Abraham, the journey of his marathon run, which is very similar to what Beatrice talked about. Um, Genesis chapter 15 is the next is the next uh, phase in, um, in Abram's journey. I don't know. Maybe it's mile 16. Just when you reached Moody Church is where he is right now. Or maybe mile 6. I don't know. Because you go around it twice. Genesis 15:1 through 6. Together, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so no house will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir but a son who is in your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness." So Lord, as we run this marathon race, we pray that you'd enable us to look to you all the time like Abram did and like Beatrice did. We want to thank you, Lord, for that very ancient testimony of Abram and uh, for this, today's testimony of Beatrice. Oh Lord, thank you. And we pray that in this marathon journey, you would indeed enable us to, to finish well, to finish well. For your glory, in the name of Jesus, the great marathon runner, we pray. Amen. Amen. So do be seated. Do be seated. Um, you know, it's very fascinating as you, as you read that text. What are some of the things that come to your mind? What are some of the words that come to your mind? Um, From um, Genesis chapters 15, verses 1 through 6. The very first words there are, after this, after this. And that's important. After these things. Because... Marathon is a continuum. It's, it, it's something that you begin. And, and when Beatrice began that journey on that morning, I quite remember that. You know, you're, you're surrounded by all these 50,000 people and, and, and everyone is jumping up and down. And, and of course, there's long lines in front of the, the port-a-potty porta areas because everyone wants to go and empty their bladders before they start the run. And you're hoping that it doesn't start. And and so it's cold and, and everyone's wearing their jacket and, and then they throw away their jacket somewhere on the sixth mile when they reach Moody Church. And, um, but but it, it, it's, it doesn't begin there. You know that you've done that. You know you've run those miles. And, and you have to keep that in mind. So after this is very important because God does stuff in a continuum. God Enables us to do this cantor, a cantor in continuum. You know, it's like the horses that run. Um, they're, 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 they're amazing creatures um, uh, that teach us quite a lot. And what happens before that? Of course, we've, we've read some of that where Abram starts out this journey. He was probably very, very discouraged. And he said, what, Lord, you want me to go from Ur? This is comfortable for me. You want me to go to that place? And, yeah, and he loses his identity as he goes there. And, and then, of course, he goes down to Egypt. You remember that, right? Where he's so scared for his life because he thinks people are going to kill him. Which is true, Egyptians were those kinds of people. And then of course, you go to chapter 13 and, and his own uh, nephew, the one who is trained up, the one who is given everything for, he forsakes him. So, and then you go to chapter 14 and there's world wars, global wars going on. So Abram has encountered all that as his marathon run goes on. And then right at the very end of that, he encounters this person called Melchizedek. And we kind of ended there last time, isn't it? Melchizedek, who is this? This is a king. His name means means that my, my king is the righteous one. My king is the righteous one. The king of righteousness, or different translations are there, who comes to him and he says, May you be blessed, Abram, may you be blessed, Abram, of God most high, of God most high, the creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into my hands. And of course, the the, the idea that comes to Abram's mind is, who are you? Who are you? Who is this God most high you're talking about? And that is very crucial in the continuum for us to recognize that God reveals himself to different people geographically all over the world. And we need to recognize that. God has left himself not without any witness. Yes, Jesus was born in in Israel. But God has left himself witnesses all over the world. It's for us to look at that and say, yes, Lord, you did it. Hey, dear, have you, have you um, read this, this book by Don Richardson called Peace Child? If you haven't, then you've got to go and talk to Brian. Because he'll tell you all about this book called uh, Peace Child. How many of you have heard about this? Peace Child? Some of you some of the Trinity people and others. Uh, Peace Child, yes, Peace Child is the uh, is story in which these people go into um, uh, uh, the tribes in western New Guinea, in Indonesia. And um, they're so disturbed because all these tribes are fighting with each other. And, and the missionaries, they say, uh, there's Don Richardson, who says, why are you fighting with each other? And, and then he said, is there any way of making peace among you people? Because you're killing each other. This is horrible. So one of them comes up with the idea, who's the tribal chief, and he says, there is only one way of doing it, and that is I'm going to take my, my child, this baby, that's come from my body, and I'm going to give this to this other chief. And I'm going to trust that this other chief, who's my enemy, who wants to kill me, is going to take care of this little baby. And he does. And Don Richardson said, that's what God did. That's the gospel. You're able to live at peace with each other. That's what the father did in giving his son. So as you go to different parts of the world, you'll see that God has left in different parts of the world what what is generally called, Don Richardson calls this an analogy, an analogy that is a redemptive analogy i've seen that in india i mean you go to some of the places in india they the the outcast people will talk about this 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 king, ancient king called Bali, and and according to the the stories they'll tell you, they'll say that these Aryans came, these Aryans came from the west, and and they defeated our king, and then they'll say that they had a god, and this god's name was, was Vishnu, and Vishnu, he becomes a small little dwarf, and he comes to our king called Bali, and he says to Bali, will you give me a little bit of your territory, and of course Bali was a very good person because it was a beautiful rule under Bali. And, and, um, and Bali says, Sure, you can have my territory. He says, Just three steps. I don't want any more than that. And so he says, Sure, if you want three steps worth of territory, go ahead and you'll get it. And, and, and as, as the narrative goes, this is the stories that are told among the low caste and outcast people. As as the story goes, this little dwarf, Vamana, becomes this huge giant. And in one step, he takes hold of all of India. The second step, he takes control of the whole universe. Can you believe it? And then he comes to Bali, and he says, now what? And Bali says, don't destroy my people. You destroy me. So with the third step... He crouch he just stamps Bali into the nether worlds. And so one of the outcast people looked at that and he says, Do you know those missionaries? They talked about Jesus. That's who this is. Bali means the sacrificial king. He's a sacrificial king. And so, huge, huge villages of low caste and outcast people became followers of Jesus. Do you see the redemptive analogies? and that's what I think we need to do, and probably uh, that would be in another series I'd like to take up where how can we use redemptive analogies from different parts of the world? immigrants from from Indonesia, from Vietnam, from 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 African countries, from the Caribbean countries, from Latin America. How do we use ancient analogies? Now, the, the, the only thing that we need to be concerned about is the analogy doesn't become the gospel. The analogy is an analogy. Okay? And we need to keep that in mind. So Abram encounters Melchizedek. And then it goes on to say, after these things, the word of the Lord came. Now, I want to say a couple of things about this word came. You know, it doesn't mean that it comes to Abram. The Hebrew word is became. And that's a very crucial distinction I want us to keep in mind because we read the Bible and we say, uh uh-huh, I understand this. We ask questions and then we say, oh yeah, I understand this, I understand this. That is not becoming the Word of God. Becoming the Word of God is when we are transformed. We encounter God as we read His Word and we are transformed. Otherwise, that is not encountering God or His Word. The word of the Lord became. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 where God said, let there be light. And there was light. There became light. God said, let there be the animal kingdom. And there became the animal kingdom. Every time you read the prophets, they'll say, the word of the Lord became me. The word of the Lord became me. Do you want to know the difference between a church that's making a difference in society in the church, that's not? Do you want to know the difference between a Christian who's making a difference in society and one that is not? One is just reading the Bible and saying, Ah, I read the Bible, I did my thing. The other one is saying, No, every time I read the Word of God, I'm transformed. And that's what transforms the society around you. Then it is the Word of the Lord. It's the Word of the Lord. That becomes you. We always go to the word of God. This is the final thing that should transform our lives. That should inform our lives. Everything that should happen should be according to the word of God. So the word of the Lord became. The word of the Lord uh, came to Avram. And then it goes on to say, the Lord says, don't be afraid, Abram, um, I'm your shield. And of course, that word shield also means star, Again, it's, it's, I'm your shield and, and, and your, your great reward. And, and then look at Abram's res- response. He says, well, Lord God, uh, uh, what is this? I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, you can keep going on about these promises, but I don't believe you. It's what uh, Beatrice experienced when she was in the 21st mile. She said, I don't know if I can do this now, right? You hit that wall. Uh, and so that's what Abram is experiencing here. He says, well, come on, Lord, give me a break. You keep saying, I'm going to have a child, I'm going to have a child, I'm going to have a child. You keep giving me all these promises, but what is all this? What is, These promises mean, mean, mean nothing to me. And so, he complains. It's called kvetching. Complaining right in the midst of fears. And so, God says to him as you go on here, he says, I'm childless. You know, in those days... uh, to have a, a, a child, especially a son, which is very true nowadays also in Asian society, in India, you know, it's, it's very important. You know, if you have a girl, no one will look at you. So, what, girl? Yeah. Oh. Boy, yay, everyone will rejoice. And so I have no idea why do people do that, but that happens in Africa, that happens in Asia, that happens in India, that happens in Latin America, you know, all over. So here is Abram is told... Um, that, that you're going to have a child and he says, well, you know, you keep saying this, but, but this, this servant of mine called Eliezer, he's going to get it all. And I don't know what's going to happen because probably when I'm old, and I don't have energy, he's going to probably kill me and take control of everything else. So what's this big idea of talking about Children. In the English translation, it says something like, "Um, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the next verse there says, chapter 15, 4 and 5, it says, um, and he took him outside, and, and, um, and he says, count the stars, Uh, probably i don't have that verse put in there but where it says body it's from your inner being from your inner being you're gonna have you're gonna have a child and then he took him outside you know god is so fascinating isn't it he he takes him outside and he says you want to count the stars what do you think have you counted the stars how many of you counted the stars in the night, you go out. Africa is so beautiful. When you go South Africa, it's so clear. Chicago, not so much. You probably need to go to the boundary waters to really get a good glimpse of the stars. So how many stars do you think are there? How many stars are there in the... Uh, let's start with the Milky Way. Milky Way? Scientists, people here? No scientist people? Oh, scientist person. How many stars in the Milky Way? What do you think? (laughs) Any ideas? Any guesses? So, um, who wants to guess? No one wants to guess? Well, there's, of course, billions and billions and billions of stars. Um, It's... uh, In the Milky Way itself, there is 100 million, million, million stars just in the Milky Way, right? And then, of course, there's millions and millions of galaxies. So multiply those. I think scientists just don't know. So someone said it's 70 raised to the power 22. Can you calculate that? That's a lot. So God tells Abraham, look at the sky, stars. And of course you need a telescope. With the naked eye itself, you can see thousands and thousands of stars. But with a telescope, you can see a lot more. That's how much your offspring will be. Do you think Abraham, looking at God, what was he thinking? What? Yeah, I don't have one child here. You're saying that it's going to be like 70 raised to the power 22. bazillions and bazillions. But that's so fascinating. For one, he is complaining against God. And then the very next verse says he believed God. Don't you like that? He believed God. And God said, You get it. The word believe means Amen. When we pray and we say Amen, that's what we are saying. I don't understand this, God. Bazillions and bazillions of stars. This is beyond my understanding. But I trust that you're going to answer these prayers. And God said, you get it. And this, was, this became a relational thing in which he was justified. This became a relational thing in which he, become, he becomes a person of justice. Do things happen internally within him? And then as a result of that, he becomes a person that goes and gives the gospel to everyone around them, around him. And it seems to me that as we look at the world, as we look at Vernon Hills and and Libertyville, and we may say, Well, you know, I've tried it all. I've tried giving the gospel here, I've tried doing this, I've tried doing that. We have this, this, this team here that goes and does. Bible studies that goes and does book clubs that goes and does this thing but look at our church we're still a few people that's all we are are we able to go before God and say I believe you will do this Lord I believe you will do this and not just one or two or three, but bazillions and bazillions and gazillions. I mean, I've seen this in, in India. I've seen, I've seen this in places where, where people would say, no, only one person came to know the Lord. Oh, two people. And they'll say, praise the Lord. After six months, there have been two people that have come to know the Lord. But one, now when I go there, there's whole villages. And they're reading stories of people like Bilkis Sheik. Have you read that? I would encourage you to. It's called, I Dare to Call Him Father. Amazing, amazing book in which she saw visions of God. And when I go and meet young people in these villages, they're seeing visions. And they're laying hands on people and people are being healed. There's other books that are written about the Islamic world where God is doing amazing, amazing stuff of, of, of people seeing visions and dreams and so on and so forth. And that should be our goal. Lord, you do stuff here. Let your word break through. Do a stuff in my life first so that I'm transformed. I become the word of God. And then we will see transformation happen all around us. It is so fascinating as I go into other parts of the world. And then, of course, we'll be able to sing these amazing songs like, God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. Have you heard that? That's an old, old song. I've been born again in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name I come to you to share His love as He told me to. He said, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give, because he has transformed me. He can transform you as well. That is the gospel. And my prayer is that Redeemer Life, each of us would be transformed as we encounter the Word of God, so that the world around us would be transformed by that same Word as Abram was transformed. Would you pray with me?